Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. And this is episode 113. Awesome. 13. 13. Lucky number. Yeah, lucky number. So, Stephen, what's going on? Uh, so, this, this last week, I actually started jumping on to um, Fusion 360, uh, which is a... Autodesk product. Yeah, an Autodesk project, which is a CAD CAM project. Uh, product that's freely available to hobbyists and startups uh if you just go to google and type in fusion 360 you can use it it's basically a like solid work slash solid edge uh clone in a way okay uh, and it's uh it's pretty awesome we've used it at the fab before um i know you have for yeah, a handful I've used it before, of things yeah but uh back when we first started using it which was probably about a year ago or two years ago something something closer to somewhere in that yeah, range about two years ago we, uh, we I, I know we kind of like cracked into it and started playing with it but i know i didn't really jump into it much uh and this last week i was like you know what um i, I really want to give it a shot and start playing with it and it's awesome uh it's absolutely killer what's so it, what's its biggest selling point over like let's say sketchup which i use a lot Okay, uh, actually, so a little bit of a story that'll answer that question right there. So y- you might be surprised because this, this was actually a year ago. It doesn't even feel like a year ago. But about a year ago this time, um, Parker and I were contracted in a way to potentially build a 4x8 CNC for a friend of ours. Oh, yeah. That was okay. a year ago. That was a year ago. I know. Wow. It does, it, that feels like a week ago. No, that feels like... Another lifetime ago for me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it feels like a week ago. Yeah, it feels like eight years ago for me. Yeah. He, uh, so I, I, no, because I completely forgot that even happened until you just brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we were going to, we were going to, well, and, and actually, this was when, Parker, um, you, you first got all your welding equipment. Yep. And we were going to use all of your equipment, plus all the drive electronics and everything that I had on my CNC, we're going to kind of build a steel monstrosity. Yeah, that thing was... The design for that thing was like Uber CNC. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was like it was an eight by four, but it was actually more like ten by six. So you can put a full sheet and have run out. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which in general you want, you want a, a border. But I think we built in like a thick border. Yeah. Around it was like that. a foot on each side. Yeah. It was. It was, it was a huge. And border. it was like the 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 actual gantry parts were made out of like four by four steel tubing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You uh, saw those designs? I do, I do, oh, and yeah. and this sort of like ties into the Fusion 360 thing because I I I've been wanting to just learn Fusion 360, so I, I watched a couple of videos and just started playing with it, and I did I did a good bit of um, solid works back when I was in college. It feels like the same program in in my mind, um, but or it feels like it it works in the same way because it's a it's a drawing program by engineers for engineers whereas sketchup is not by engineers no. even though they have a quote engineer mode engineer mode means that they take the background away such that it's a flat color and they give you decimals that that's what that, engineer that's mode it. means yeah. it doesn't mean anything more than that um, like well take take for instance in fusion 360 if you're going to draw something it has to be properly dimensioned it will actually not be considered complete until it has all the right dimensions to make sure that it's constrained by your drawing so in other words like if you're drawing on a rectangle you want to draw a circle on a rectangle you have to have the proper dimensions and you know a proper diameter for that circle and that seems like really goofy 
it seems like a lot of extra work. But the thing is, when it comes down to it, like, you know, in the future, you might want to, I don't know, you might want to move that circle. Well, you have all the dimensions that you can just modify on the fly. Oh. And it will move. Whereas that. in SketchUp, you have to redraw. You would have, you would have to delete and redraw everything. Yep. Or let's say, you know, let's say you used that circle as a whole through the side of a box and you added fillets and all these other things to that box, but you realize that you wanted to scoot that hole by a quarter of an inch in one direction. In Fusion 360, it will move everything associated with that circle. Oh, okay, cool. So, so you, you like group elements you, of it together and stuff? Yeah, yeah. You, everything is constrained by whatever, you know, two lines can be parallel, concentric circles. In other words, it's a professional drawing program. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's weird because at first it seems like a program where you're like, oh, this is super clunky. I don't know how to draw anything. Like Google SketchUp is like, give me line. I draw line. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of that kind of uh, thing, which is nice because you get drawing really quick. But uh, um, but I've been really enjoying playing around with this. And it's super easy once you get the feel of it. Regardless, I've been porting the CNC designs from SketchUp over into Fusion 360 Sort of out of like a, you know, a just fun and exercise. Yeah. Can I do it? But I've also been modifying the designs because previously we had actually gone with a rack and pinion design, which yep. would have been really cool. But I actually found for less money you can do ball screw mm-hmm. um, designs and they have less run out. It won't sound as cool though. It will, No, a, a rack and pinion sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of you know what? You know what's actually uh, the, the funniest thing is the, uh, the the most difficult design thing we were having to deal with was how do you keep sawdust or metal shavings out of the rack and pinion because yeah. you don't preloading the rack and pinion. and preloading yeah because you have to have a spring loaded motor at that point well you don't have to but you have to have a space you need a spring loaded gear that goes on it for the certain, yeah yeah the certain uh, force preload on it to keep it right point. and as it wears down you want you want that force to continually be the same Same. so yeah you have to come up with a system whereas with a a, you know a a ball screw system you just put a bearing on it and spin it and you're you're good to go so i've been just playing around with that um and that's been fun so i just maybe maybe a little bit of a shout out to fusion 360 i've been gushing a little bit there but it's really cool it's really fun Uh, uh, can you share the videos that you that you watched to learn how to use Fusion 360? Yeah, sure. The the guy that I watched, he's a little bit of a goober, um, but uh, but like he's, he's right got spot. a three part video where he he make, makes a junction box, and the junction box um, has three parts to it. And actually, what's really cool, so it has a base plate, it has a lid, and two screws. And um, I guess Fusion or Autodesk has has got some kind of uh, um, deal with McMaster. Oh, yeah, you can pull their step you, files. Yeah. So this guy, when it came down to do the screws, he's like, I'm not going to model the screws. He just, You don't even have to go separate and download their the the CAD. You go through the Fusion program, and it brings you to McMaster Car. Mm. And when you click anything in it, it automatically just loads it into your pro, uh, program. You don't have to download and then upload, you know, at CAD files and stuff. Bring it in your project or anything. It just does it. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. And and so you know, one one other thing. What's the guy's name? You haven't said yet. I don't remember his name. Right. I just searched for like Fusion three sixty tutorial, and I think it was one of the first things. I will right, we'll put it on the podcast. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll find it. But but uh, you know the it's funny I I want to use Fusion three sixty to design and build uh, the uh, CNC but you can also use it for CAM it has a full built in um, CAM. 
program so you can do all your tool paths and create your g-code for running the cnc on there does it actually run it or do you have to go through a g-code interpreter still you know you still have to you still have to have something else that actually like, spits like the bits out on a yeah like okay. mock yeah which there's a mock four now oh. which i want to i want to start playing around is there a mock five <laughs> it's, it's gonna start just being like uh, pictures of Warp razor blades nine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah so the thing is um i had actually designed and, and cut some guitars using Rhino and RhinoCam, uh, the plugin, mm-hmm. uh, before. And Rhino has an awesome, awesome CAD, uh, cam um, program. But it's it's funny because Rhino is way more... Uh, well, it, it, it's not like engineered mindset. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of things you draw in there, it, it, it's not very obvious how you define units and how you like say oh i want this line to be this long 18 unicorns long exactly exactly <laughs> in, in rhino it's kind of like i draw this curve and it looks good and then i oh, you know and then i sweep okay. it around it's more okay. like just like graphics modeling but extremely powerful you can do all the like constrained stuff but you know the difference is like i was saying earlier if you want to draw a circle in Fusion 360, you have to say the circle is this many inches away from this thing and this many inches away from this thing and it has this diameter. Whereas in Rhino, you can just be like, I want a circle and that looks big enough and it's right there. You know, it's like, like SketchUp then. It's yeah, a fancier version of SketchUp. A, a way how, fancier version. That's how I've heard Rhino being built. Yeah. Is it's a more precise, I guess. Maybe not precise is the right word, but more full-featured modeling program than SketchUp. It's also way, way smarter. Uh, because, like, if you, you know, in, in, in SketchUp, if you give it th- three points in space, it can create a polygon mm-hmm. in space. But as soon as you start giving it, like, five, six, seven points, it's just going to crap its pants and, yep. and, like, not know what a curve is. A curve in SketchUp is a bunch of, Polygons. like, bad triangles. Uh, but in Rhino, you can give it, like, 50 points and say, like, give me the best curve that fits all of these points, and it'll just do it. Hmm. Uh, and, and so you, it, it's a lot more powerful with with things of that sort um but it's funny because for for how on the surface imprecise rhino feels it has an excellent cam program for programming cncs uh like the best i've seen around um now what's interesting is fusion 360 a free program for hobbyists has one that you know my initial impression feels just as good as rhino uh it, it everything seemed really smooth it was really straightforward uh and it did everything that it needed to uh so i was i was really impressed with that now the cool thing is um you can actually get a license to uh, fusion 360 if required like macfab would require a license and things but or you're selling stuff yeah but you but uh What's interesting is that they have it set up where you only have to pay for it after you are making 100K in your company. Oh, so for okay. startups, it's still free yep. until you break that point. But the whole license is 300 bucks a year. That's it? 300 a year gets hmm. you a full copy of, of Fusion 360. Whereas Rhino, uh, if Rhino by itself is a few thousand dollars, and then the plug-in Rhino Cam is also a few thousand dollars. So it's kind of... I, you know, if you can get by with Fusion 360, which does almost everything that Rhino does, I'd say go with that. 
Looks like what I'm trying to do this weekend. Yeah. Model a junction box. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you could model uh, your beer brewing box. Yeah. In there. It's good segue. Yeah. That's actually the only good segue you've ever had. F- and I just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Parker, what have you been doing? Yeah. So, um, follow me on Twitter or whatever. I've been posting pictures of my brewery box I've been working on. Um, it's similar to the project that Stephen was working on about six months ago. Except it's not in a UPS, USPS box. You know, you did, you did finally upgrade to a proper metal box, though. Right? Yeah, but but when I go to like my final box, the one I'm actually going to do, I might paint it so it looks like a USPS box. Then <laughs> you know that would actually get a vinyl wrap for it. Yeah, you got to do that now. Yeah, yeah, that looks perfect. Think, I think I might, especially have to do with that, yeah. if you can keep like the same like aesthetics of the dampness that box had. Oh Where, like, yeah, it had, yeah. It had water stains all over it. Oh yeah, it was nasty. Yeah, and and the brewery brewery could just be called Humble Beginnings Brewery. Ah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah, or first class. First. Oh, first class. <laughs> yeah, that's better. <laughs> that's, yeah. Okay, you've you've got a box and you're putting crap in it, just like I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, a so better I, box. Yeah, i yeah. Mine's a proper electrical box for machines. So that's the only difference, really. Because you because you went with a. Um, Circuit breaker box. Yeah, I just went with a Home Depot twenty dollars special. Yeah. I ripped out all the guts, all the like uh, terminal blocks, yeah. and just kind of screwed everything in. Yeah. So, the I mean, really, what I did was I upgraded from cardboard to steel. Steel. Yep. So, I because I'm trying to keep everything mostly watertight, um, as much as you can, I guess. That's safe when you're dealing with you know tens of gallons of water and two twenty volt fifty amp yep. uh, breakers. So yeah, so I. I Basically, I punched all the holes out in the uh, <clears throat> on the front panel and put everything in. The thing is, I went with like old waterproof stuff, and then I decided to put a power meter in, and you can't get those waterproof. So, oh well. I silicon cock just like yeah, goop I, it all was, over cause, it because I made that slot the right size for it to pop in, and I'm thinking about popping it back out, putting it on the back side, and mount a piece of plexiglass with some silicon so it's just watertight, and you just look through the plexiglass That'd and work. see the thing because then the, then the whole front panel will be waterproof again what uh, uh what'd you use to cut the square holes like a dremel or something uh angle grinder <laughs> oh uh, he's holding up his hand he had some uh some battle damage, <laughs> battle damage on my wrist <laughs> that's actually the first time i ever got nicked by the by the angle grinder yeah yeah uh so like just like the 110 like big handheld yeah angle, yeah four and a half inch angle grinder nice i, I basically marked it out and just went you just take a file and clean up the square edges or yeah, something? Yeah, I, I just cleaned up. It only took about five minutes. Yeah, yeah, cool. Because on the, on the PID loops, because those are square holes, mm-hmm. I actually 3D printed a, a square hole to round hole adapter. Nice. <laughs> so it basically rounded off the square. And yeah. So I only had to do is drill like a two and a half inch hole, and then they just dropped right in. There you go. So yeah, that made that really nice, but I couldn't do that with the with the rectangle holes. Yeah, because it would made the circle would have been like eight inches in diameter. Gotcha. <laughs> or six or whatever. Yeah, I did a. Uh, I used a Dremel when I did uh, the my PID. Yeah. Just because it was like I should use four hundred gauge. Uh, you know, yeah. steel is like paper, so you can yeah. just get through it with a Dremel real quick. Because my problem is, I always wear. This is the first time actually too. I've never. I didn't wear my PPE. <laughs> using that angle because usually I'm welding when I get the angle grinder out. Yeah, but I wasn't welding. I was just like cutting metal, so I just grabbed it and I forgot to put my welding gloves on and just cutting. And I don't think uh, maybe I should, but I don't think I've ever worn gloves with a angle grinder. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just like you just pick it up and go to town, you know. Yeah. I mean, half the time, half the time you're welding, mm-hmm. and then and your angle grinder's on the ground next to you. You you flip your 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 helmet up, you grind a little bit, and then you go back to welding. It's like just like a, a, a you know here and there, but but. You know, Press, our, pressing the little pressing the little switch on the angle grinder is annoying with a big old pair of gloves on. Oh, so you throw the gloves off. Mine's just got a big toggle on the side. Ah, okay. Big plastic slide thing that you just click. It's easy to use with the gloves on. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And I don't run with the guard on it, so. I um, I bought a while back a um, pneumatic angle grinder, or well, it's a pneumatic cutoff wheel. Okay, those are awesome. I, yeah, I'm mean, thinking about getting ass. one, except I probably have to upgrade my air compressor. Uh, you don't. You don't really need that much with it. Oh, really? Nah. Hmm. I, I I used it with a with a small tank guy, and I was able to cut big stuff. All right. Next time on the MEP, I will have a cutoff wheel, and you'll see more bad Yeah, I was about to see his, <laughs> his hands will be cut more. There's gonna be a disc in my forehead. <laughs> hey, actually, what's crazy is uh, I I I worked at Walmart back in the day. I was the uh, reader. No, no, I was not. I was not the greeter. I was the dude who threw bricks in the back of your car. Like mm-hmm. guys would pull up into the garden center, and they would they would have ordered like fifteen thousand bricks, and it's the middle of summer, and they'd be like, "Steve, go out there and fill their truck." And you have to count each one. No, no, and it's and and what? Well, yes, I do. And on top of that, they like you'd have all these construction workers, and they'd stand there and watch me fill their truck yeah. with bricks. I'm like, come on, it's dudes. not their job. Like, it, it's yeah, it's not their job. Yeah, exactly. But, re- working, man. but uh, regardless, I was. Uh, while I was working there, my boss at the time, she came up to me uh, and she was like, hey, check this out. And she showed me a picture and it's a dude in a hospital bed and he's got a uh, uh, a grinding wheel from a bench grinder. You know, like the the, the ones that oh, are like three quarter inch? Yeah, and they're like... Sticking out of his head. Like, and And I was like, oh my God, what, did you find this? No, she's like, no, that's my husband. He's in the hospital right now. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ, are you getting out of here? You know, like... She's uh, got the right attitude. Yeah, <laughs> You know, it was it was funny how nonchalant she was about it. It's like that happens all the time. <laughs> like, oh, Last week crap. it was a nail on the forehead. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like it was like a big triangle of stone, stone sticking out of this dude's head. <laughs> he survived. So that's my Walmart story. <laughs> that's definitely different than most people's Walmart stories. <laughs> uh, so this weekend I'll probably start. Um, Filling the guts out of it because it's completely empty. The box. You just have switches and stuff on it. Yeah, just switches on. And um, the main important thing though is I found a what was called a RCD. I don't know if we ever talked about this in the podcast. Maybe we did. We once. talked. We talked a little bit ago about getting a GFCI. GFCI. So I did a lot of research on this stuff, and a GFCI is well, an RCD is a GFCI. I think it's it's actually the, the other way around, because RCD stands for residual current device, right? And a GFCI is a residual current yes. device. Um, and so in the industrial world, you have RF, uh, RCDs, mm. and so I wanted something that was DINREL. And if you type in DINREL GFCI, you won't find anything, or they're super expensive, or they're really expensive. Like you won't find it. So I started looking up, uh, and I basically I just stumbled upon. RCD as a term and started searching for RCDs and I found a lot. You can buy buy these normally in and you know um, industrial stores and stuff. Granger and stuff. Yeah, but they're usually rated for thirty milliamps, which is the which is the basically uh, basically the highest rating your heart could take before you die. Yeah, yeah, thirty milliamps at two twenty volt. That's gonna yeah. hurt. Yeah, and th- but that thirty milliamps is what it takes to 
make your heart not heart anymore. Right. GFCIs usually top out at five. Five to ten. It depends on what it is. Like the small one I was looking at was ten. You, like the ones in your bathroom, uh, you know, where you have a, a hairdryer next yep. or a toaster next to the, the bathtub, you know? <laughs> Get that bathroom toast. Yeah, bathroom toast, yeah. <laughs> Those are usually five. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I started looking and see if I can find one of these RCDs that was in 10, and I found one. I had to order from AliExpress, but the company was pretty reputable. And the big thing was when I opened up the box, it didn't smell like Shenzhen. Didn't smell like the Shenzhen plasticky, like smell. Yeah. So. You didn't open it up and a cloud of smog comes out the <laughs> box. Out? No. <laughs> so I ordered a couple of them because I'm gonna give one to Steven so he doesn't kill himself. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, and I ordered spares because it took like three weeks when they arrive. <laughs> awesome. That's how I'm. I'm, uh, I'm like when I'm buying all these parts, I'm ordering spares in case. That's that could be. That's like the worst thing to happen during a brew day is like running out of propane. Oh god, that was terrible. Yeah, yeah, I've had that happen. Yeah, I've had that happen multiple times. Yeah, it sucks. it's just like I I want to make sure that doesn't happen with my electric setup. You, you so don't I'm like run out of two twenty. No, you won't <laughs> run out of two twenty. Well, you might. Yeah, you might. If there's a hurricane or the power goes out, but barring that, like if a part breaks, I want to be able to get around that quickly. Oh, okay. so I'm buying like S, especially when you blew up your SSR. <laughs> yep, yep, and it so melted. I, I ordered spare SSRs. I have a spare PID controller, all yeah. that stuff, so I can just swap out and. I, I had four extra SSRs lying around, uh, so there if, you go. Yeah, so um, the uh, but so so the RCD is not like a traditional breaker. It it's not going to break if it overcurrents. It will. The problem is you can't find. They don't make them in fifty amps, which oh, is what okay. our brewery rigs are rated for. Right. Um, this you either get like. 40 something or it goes up to 63 so wait, it does both it breaks if there's uh yes. a, an offset and it breaks if it overcurrents correct oh that's so cool. this is rated that's at cool. 63 amps and 10 milliamp of rcd 60 okay so that's not bad yeah so the, how i'm going to set up those i'm going to put i have a breaker on the wall that's 50 amp already but i'm going to put another 50 amp breaker in my box just so it's closer to the stuff that can be going wrong right and then it goes to this rcd Gotcha. So that way, the um, that I still trip on the 50 amp, which is what my cords are rated for. So I don't have to go at 63. Yeah. Or if there's an issue at the box or something like that. Right. Yeah. And multiple levels of protection never hurts. Yeah, well, it's always good. Yeah. And 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 for the most part, there's 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 actually only a few processes that would actually utilize the full 50 amps. Correct. And they're rare when you actually need to. Add, do that for a prolonged period yeah. of time. Basically, on my setup, would be running both elements and all three pumps at the same time. Right, yeah. right. Which I'd is be, like I'd be at like forty nine amps. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hardcore. Even when you're boiling the element, uh, w- like once you actually get mm-hmm. to boiling temperature, the element's only running at like ten percent because all it needs to do is keep it at a boil. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know, the, the 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 time it takes for it to get up to boiling is where you're kind of dumping 100 percent into it so one question um i don't know a lot about is should we be grounding our pots to have those elements in it should the pots be grounded yes absolutely okay absolutely you have a wooden uh a wooden holder for everything so Uh, how are your uh, pots grounded then my 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 pots are grounded through the the, uh, through the element okay well the the the, uh, sorry i 
I have a box that that hangs off the side of my pot yep. that houses the connections to the element. That itself in there, I have a full ground connection that reaches back to my control box, okay. and it's grounded through there. Okay, so I should ground my pots. To make yes, sure. one hundred. But you're not grounding the element. Y- you have a separate connection that grounds okay. to some solid connection yep. on the pot. Cool. Yeah. How to make sure that that happens? <laughs> yes. Yeah, because because the thing is, like, in the elements, they're a ceramic element that's surrounded by steel. If for any reason that yeah. steel cracks, then the water gets electrified, then the, the tank gets electrified, or the pot, and so you want a direct path to ground mm-hmm. in that case. Because then you want your RCDs RCD to pop. Trip. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, you want to. But, but I have seen it before where guys use a steel um, cart. And then they ground the cart also. Yeah. Which that's a good idea. Well, I was gonna build my cart out of steel, but I was gonna have wooden slats across to help insulate insulation. Yeah. So I'll make, I'll just make sure the pots are grounded through the element. The that, that's all I do, and that that works fine. And you don't have to have all the pots um, insulated. Like my mash tun's not insulated. Oh yeah, that's but, true. Yeah. But you know the water through it is yeah. uh, you know because my whatever pot is is actively boiling at the moment is grounded. is grounded yeah. yeah and in fact you're going to have you have two separate pots with two elements in them each connected to your box each one of those should have its own individual ground, ground. wire Correct. so yep cool three wires to elements yes yep hot bad and ground <laughs> bad <laughs> you know actually I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you a joke in, in fact this guy i doubt he listens but maybe maybe he does there was a guy that um i i got he, he's a good friend of mine but i haven't i haven't actually even talked to him in years but uh he was in like all of my uh labs in college just mm-hmm. somehow it always happened that he and i would get paired together in a lab so we were always lab partners and we had this thing going um, you know, you'd get those like real crappy breadboards. Oh yeah, that, that they give you on. Anything up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they and then they'd give you like a pile of resistors that four hundred kids have used before, where all the legs are like super messed and up, all squiggly, squiggly, twist them together yeah, and stuff. Exactly. But then they just yeah. pull them apart. And, yeah. Oh, God. And you can't push them. In, yeah. Yeah. Bre- yeah. These these are college lab woes. It's like, man, I gave my my college how much money, and I can't get a resistor <laughs> with a straight leg. Yeah. Uh, regardless, this guy and I, uh, the the whole. This this has to do with the wiring thing we just said. You know how in breadboards they have the uh, the power strips on top and bottom, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're usually marked red and blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, we got the mentality that blue was power and red was ground, and we had these phrases for it. It was blue so hot and red not so hot, mm-hmm. and blue was always power and red was always ground. And so, like every time I do a breadboard nowadays. Blue's always power and red's always ground. So if you're ever in Steven's shop, that that's don't wire breadboards up wrong. <laughs> no, I just thought that was funny. It was just because I don't know. That, that was like our thing, and we did it for like years on end. Blue so hot, red not so hot. So I wonder why they chose the color blue on the breadboards. Yeah, I don't know. You would think green would make more red and green, or, or red and black. Yeah, yeah. yeah usually make... the the screw terminals. If you have a fancier breadboard, it's got the screw terminals at the top. Right, it'll have red, black, and green. Yeah, but like, it doesn't have red, blue, and green. Right. Yeah, that that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe blue was just available when they made all the breadboards. Maybe no. all the breadboards in the world. Yeah, they made them all they like one time. They made it all within like a week, oh, and they're still selling them. You know what's funny? The that- map asking the hard questions. 
<laughs> why is blue on breadboards? <laughs> so, so uh, kind of, we're talking about beer brewing in the same vein. This is actually super annoying, but uh, uh, one of my favorite hop variety, varieties is Citra. Yes, it's an Citra's awesome, delicious. Oh, it's so great. The thing that sucks about it, it's a proprietary blend, and there's only one basic you know, conglomerate that grows it. Okay. And they don't grow it regularly. So right now, almost every you know bag of citra mm-hmm. that you get is from the 2015 crop. And it's just been degrading. And the funny thing that's in, uh, interesting, I, I brewed a batch in 2015 that had citra in it, and it was delicious. Mm-hmm. I and, I, and I brewed a beer recently that had citra in it, and it just wasn't as, like... Bam. It wasn't as, you know, lively and vibrant. So basically what happens is this company, as long as they have the, I guess, patent to grow Citra, I, they grow in big batches and then they sell out of the, uh, until they finish that so, and then they grow another batch. So it's the, they own the genetic code. It's like, uh, what's that company? It starts with an M. Monsanto. Monsanto. Yeah, Monsanto. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they have the code, but they, they grow it in huge batches and then they sell until they, they, they're out. And apparently they haven't sold out of Citra yet. And so... Pretty much every Citra hop you get now is three years old, Ugh. which sucks. And 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 you can't get the bulbs, so you can't grow it yourself. No, the rhizomes they yeah. it's illegal because they own that code. Damn. Uh, and I can't remember. I, I I actually did some research on it. I looked it up the other day. It, it's something like. I, they own it for like ten years or something, mm. so it's going to be a while until Citra can be grown by anyone. Well, Citra's right been around now, for a long time. It has been, but it's still not out of the. It's only got to be a couple years left. But, like, if you try to go get, like, uh, what is it, um, like, Centennial or yeah. uh, or any of the other, like, big ones. Cascade. Cascade. Oh, if you, Cascade, it would have been picked, like, yesterday. Yeah. If you go to the the uh, hop store and yeah. get it. So. Uh, Cascade's great because you can just, here in Houston, Cascade grows like a weed. Uh, it basically yeah. is. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are. But, like, I've grown Cascade in my backyard, and that was my, my best, my favorite beer ever brewed was from those cascades I grew in my backyard because they were just fresh. You can cut them off the vine and throw it right in. That's what I did. Yeah, I didn't even dry them out. I I put like a pound of hops in because like when you dry them out, they lose like a tenth or they lose like nine tenths of their weight. Yeah. So, right. Sauce them in. Nice. All right. So actual electronics now. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, This is the variety hour right here. The variety hour. Um. So I had an article that came out about those PCM five one two two DACs I've been working on. Yep. Um, so I'm working on the next article, which is about uh, doing low volume testing on a product, and so I'm using this that board for for this. When you say low volume, like what what numbers are you thinking? Uh, from like five hundred to a thousand. Okay. Units. Um, basically, like at that point, you kind of want a test fixture. Yeah, you don't want a guy sitting on a bench one by one plugging stuff in yeah um it's still gonna be one by one but it's designed to be quick Mm -hmm. and you just you don't have to plug anything in so like i added test points to the bottom of the board um getting the board made right now and so i started working on the code to talk to it because the problem with the raspberry pi is it takes like 30 to 45 seconds for it to boot up Mm -hmm. and you have to basically reinitialize that i2c and i2s bus um, with um, Linux every single time. So you have to, if for each board, you'd have to turn off the Raspberry Pi, swap the board out, put the new one in, turn it back on, wait 45 seconds. Oh, you can't do that through Linux reinitializing? I haven't figured it out. Oh, someone I'm, knows. I'm, I, I bet you there is a way to do it, but 
it's probably hard if you haven't figured it out. Yeah, I, I haven't figured it out yet. And so I basically spent the last day making an Arduino Zero, because Arduino Zero supports I2S, mm-hmm. making it talk to the PCM5122. So I got that working. Which you could swap in and out on an Arduino yeah, so Zero. Yeah, so and I've tested it. So all I, have, I made the routine basically is it runs the the... It drives the PCM. It has to set up the initialization. That was the hardest thing was setting up the initialization. Um, figuring out what registers I needed to talk to that chip to actually send it I square or I2S data to make noise. Um, and at one, at one point, I actually sniffed with my uh, DLA. I sniffed the I square C bus between the Raspberry Pi and, the, and this uh, DAC to figure out what it was sending to drive it. <laughs> and it's interesting. I'm pretty sure about this. I had, I'll post the 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 stuff I sniffed off the bus. So it tries to drive two different I2C devices with the the Hi-Fi Berry driver. It's trying to hit 9A and 9B. So 9A is the the I2C um, uh, address. Mm-hmm. And 9B was another address it was trying to hit at the same time, but it always would return as uh, NACs. So not not acknowledged. Hmm. Um, but it kept... You think it would oh, try to figure out... Is which, that like a left and right kind of thing? Yeah, or something like that. But you think it would try to do... Try to test and then stop doing one. But it was trying to configure anyways i'll post it up so maybe someone smarter than me can figure out why it's doing that um it's actually setting up the dac to output the um to actually drive the raspberry pi to tell the raspberry pi how to send out the data oh so, so the- it's it's basically talking to the raspberry pi tells the dac say hey send me the clock data and I'll send you the data at the right rate. Oh, huh, so really the, the DAC sort of masters it in a way? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, I might not be 100% sure, but when I was looking at it, that's what it looked like. That's weird. So I'll, I'll pop the post something. I might even make a little tiny blog article about that because that's kind of funky. Um, so anyways, the rest well, I mean, don't you normally, like, you pull the address and then you say, here's the speed I'm going to give you data? Yes. And then you, and then the Raspberry Raspberry or the master would drive the clock line for the I2S and then send the data to. Right, and then and then whoever's whoever's listening at the, that the address DAC, line, yeah, the yeah. DAC would list, uh, get it. It would, yeah. So, but in this case, it's saying like, I want to talk to you, and then it says, I'll only talk to you if you go this fast. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, no, it, it's it because I the I square C and I2S are different data lines. Oh, so the oh Pi, I'm sorry, you're right. The Raspberry Pi yeah, yeah. talks to the, the DAC and says, I'm going, I'm going, I want to set up this. This sound data to yeah. go this fast, and you're going to drive the line. Oh, so I got you, you. I got you. So the you. DAC is driving the 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 data back, or the, the clock lines, I should say. So it's driving the bit clock and it's driving the frame clock. You know, that's yeah, that's a that's a that's a nifty way of and doing then, it. And then the Raspberry Pi is sending out the data at that right rate. Well, and and I guess what makes sense about that is. The DAC then has a very fixed audio rate. Like, it doesn't change. And you're pretty much guaranteed that whatever's driving that DAC is going to be running faster than the DAC itself. Supposedly. Well, it's, I mean, you would think it would, (laughs) that would make sense. And so, uh, whatever, so so that way that the DAC always holds its time frame properly, as opposed to being slaved to 
yes. you know, the whatever yeah. computer decides to go to. Yeah. So the thing is, though, is the Arduino I2S library isn't set up like that. It's set up to where the Arduino drives the DAC and says, this is going to be the bit clock, this is going to be the frame clock, and here's your data. Mm. And deal with it, basically. <laughs> um, and so I basically had to go through the entire data sheet of the PCM5122, figure out which registers I had to adjust, and there's like 30 of them. <laughs> and that initializes it and then made my 400 hertz tone. Oh, nice. Score wave. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to just uh, write your own I2S driver. No, no, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, yeah. So I got the the frequency set up, and the, the code's kind of hacked together right now um, because it's kind of just cycling through, and it's not perfect yet. Like, when I'm updating the the channel, I'm not, I'm just, like, throwing by, uh uh, throwing the bytes at the the driver right now. I'm like bait. Like uh, what needs to be is it needs to be an interrupt driven mm-hmm. setup. So where it's when it throws it at the I square C I two S lines, it's actually on a normal basis because right now it's kind of indeterminate, and so you can kind of hear it sometimes. It'll click, but for uh, testing right now, it works. Well, yeah, but the whole point of testing is can you get a tone out of it? Yes. If you do, who cares if it's like clicks every once yeah. in a while that's that doesn't matter yeah. and so then i wanted to okay now i have that working now i need to read it back the, that signal back into the arduino oh so you want to actually test the frequency yes uh-huh. make sure because then you have a feedback loop of this board actually working and so i fed it back in and then of course the first thing you do is analog read a3 right yeah, yeah. and that like completely blows up your you know loop because it's that takes forever to happen on the arduino dude digital write Analog write and analog read and analog write, all of four yes. of those are just like, holy crap, they take so many clock cycles. Yes. If you actually look under the hood of the Arduino, it's like, wow, that's really slow. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you start timing it out and stuff. And so it was it was so bad, actually, I couldn't fill up the, the DAC. It basically uses a DMA, mm-hmm. um, which is a special kind of direct direct memory access is what DMA stands for. It's basically sending stuff out to the I2S buffer, a hardware buffer, direct from memory is what the driver is doing. Um, and I couldn't fill the DMA fast enough with that analog read or analog read in. And so I went online and found a project by Albert Van Dalen. Uh, his website's AVD Web. He he wrote a analog read fast. <laughs> which happens like it's like 400 microseconds for a normal one wow no that's a normal analog read so it's slow oh oh yeah. okay i see what you're saying yeah I see what this you're saying. other one's like 20 <laughs> I, I, he's doing a lot of like uh port calls instead yeah. of like yeah. inherent arduino calls yeah and that actually works like you can't even tell when that's innate like i actually measuring it on the scope the frequency coming out you can't actually tell if if there's an issue or not, so that's good. I just want to move that the DMA filling to a, a a actual proper interrupt, and then that code would be done. You know, just a suggestion, something that's really easy for hammering out um, frequency detection. If you're working with sine waves, you can just throw a sine wave into a Schmidt trigger and turn it into a real nice square wave, and then just use the millis function on an input wave. 
uh, and just basically capture digital edges, and you can. Oh, so I'm actually. It's using, a zero crossing. I'm actually using the uh, FFT library. <laughs> so like, yeah. you're doing you're you're doing so much overhead yeah, on yeah. that. But the thing is, though, it doesn't need to do it. It only it runs for like five seconds. Yeah, and then it stops its stuff, and then it does an FFT. Well, so it basically, it fills a buffer. It fills and, a buffer, and then, and then runs the FFT on the FFT. buffer. Yeah. yeah, but then. After it does the FFT, that just gives you another buffer full of data. You then have to interpret that data. No, it, the, actually, the FFT library will give you frequencies. Okay, well, under the hood of the FFT yes, library, yes, it does yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you can actually just pull the main, basically, frequency. And if it's 400 hertz, and I'm like, or close to, I'll have like a window, it'll say pass. Huh. So. We uh we did a project back in um in college where we made a um guitar tuner. Mm-hmm. Uh what we used gosh, I don't remember what the program was, but we were sucking in data, then we'd run a uh an FFT on it, and then we just fill an array. We took that array, we just sorted all the values, rearranged them all, and then picked whichever one was the highest and it turned out to be our fundamental. Yeah. And and like we were able to make like a real time computer guitar tuner. That's cool. Yeah, it actually worked out pretty well. But I, I would assume that an Arduino is probably not grunty enough to actually pull that off. Yeah, not in real time. No. no. Maybe a Raspberry Pi. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on how, how much sample. Maybe sample a Raspberry Pi 3B+. Plus. Yeah, 3B+. Plus. <laughs> That's a new one. Yeah. Actually, what, 200 megahertz? Uh, no, 1,200 megahertz. Oh. 1.2 okay. gigahertz, 4 core. Okay, cool. But. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Onto the RFO. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I forgot to look up what episode we talked about this guy. Uh, it was a handful ago. Yeah, Mad Mike Hughes is back. This is the guy that is the professional stunt limo driver. Right. And self but, 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 but he's got a secret second life. Yeah, he's where, a flat earther. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, I can't remember what episode we talked about him in, but it was like 20 episodes ago, something like that. Uh, yeah, something. I don't um, know. Where but, we, was, but we actually talked about this happening. Yes, yeah. yes, this happening. He was building a steam-powered rocket to go high enough to figure out if the Earth was flat or not. And we talked about, like, it, that kind of got like a conspiracy theory episode-ish. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. we're not going to talk anything about that. We're just going to talk about what actually happened. Right. He wanted to see with his own eyes the curvature of yes. the Earth. And he went 1,850 feet up, which is not high enough. Uh, it's nowhere near high so How enough. high do you need to go to see that? Okay, so I actually did a little bit of research right before, and a typical airliner um, cruises at 37,000 feet, uh, which is quite a bit higher than 1875 uh, feet. And I mean, there's buildings higher than this. Right, right, right. He could have just gone to the top of a building. Or or Mount Everest is 20,020 feet or something like that. Uh, you could have just climbed Everest, and, and I shouldn't just say just, but, you know, yeah, let's it, go up for a Sunday Sunday drive up Everest. Probably, you know, I bet you for the same amount of cost, uh, you could you could learn to, to climb a mountain and become really good at it, and and actually climb Everest or so, make a steam powered rocket. So, yeah, Re- the regardless, fly- yeah. The, uh, the an airplane flying at thirty seven thousand feet gives you a viewing radius out a window of somewhere or or like a direct view of about 350 miles somewhere in that range which if you look at the curvature that gives you about a 3.4 degree arc Mm -hmm. on the earth which 
for most human eyes, I would say almost all human eyes, is imperceivable. Now, I'm not trying to say that it's a flat earth kind of thing, but a, a cruising airplane's not even high enough to see a true curve on the earth or something where you would just look at it and be like, yeah, it's curved. Yeah. You know, I got it. Because remember in this, this year's Star Wars episode, yep, we calculated how far away the star, the Death Star was. Yeah, and it had to have one. like pin perfect and, accuracy yeah, with his laser. But like you see <laughs> from the the viewing deck on the Death Star, yep. you can see the curvature of Scarif. Right. right. So you need to build a star destroyer or a Death Star to see the curvature. Well, that's the next thing that the flat earthers need to do. <laughs> they, no, no, wait. Here's wait, 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 wait. No, here's the best part. <laughs> The flat earthers need to build a giant spherical planet and put it into space <laughs> so they can find out if ours is spherical or not. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That'd be great. Actually, have you seen, uh, we'll, we'll come back to this in a second, but have you seen the new conspiracy about the, the footprint on uh, the moon? No. So, if you, you uh, Neil Armstrong's first footprint yeah, 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 yeah it's got like a specific you know it's got the nike swoosh on it or whatever no but it's got like a that's, footprint that's from future yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got it's got a very specific footprint but uh there's been pictures circulating about the actual spacesuit that he wore and people taking pictures of like the spacesuit and it doesn't have the same footprint oh, but boy. like it's ridiculous people are flipping out about this the astronauts like had clip-on boots that they clip underneath their suit, yeah, and that has the the, the footprint. footprint on it. And in fact, NASA still has the plastic mold that they used for that exact uh, boot. F- boot, yeah. And they were li- and like NASA's been posting pictures, being like, "Come on, guys, really? <laughs> <laughs> you should, you know, you, you should look this up, Iris. Go look up, go look up uh, Neil Armstrong footprint or what? Conspiracy, conspiracy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The moon's made of cheese." <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheese. See, yeah, there's there's all kinds of pictures of it now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, regardless. So, Mad Mike Hughes. Yeah. We'll have to post a video too about this because it was actually it's actually kind of impressive that it's he super survived. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he went 1,850 <laughs> feet up, which is that's uh, pretty high. But the fact that he went about 350 miles an hour. Yeah. That's that's a little ridiculous. So I'm I'm going to do some. I'm going to look at the video more closely and like figure out how much G's he went went through. I probably a ton. If you watch the video, it accelerates pretty damn. It goes fast. from 0 to like a zillion miles an hour in like one frame of the camera. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you for the first couple of seconds he probably wasn't breathing. Probably not. <laughs> no. And 350 miles an hour, that's pretty damn fast for what what it really ends up being is like a really big Estes rocket, you know? No, not an Estes made. rocket. It's a steam-powered rocket. Yeah. It's like, wait, is this 1850 or something? So the thing is, I looked up. <laughs> a Civil War rocket. I looked up steam-powered rockets. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So Evil Knievel tried to jump like Snake, Canyon. Snake Canyon or something like that yeah. in a steam-powered rocket and failed because his, uh, his parachutes opened early. Okay. And... There's not a lot of data on like those rockets, but then I found a land speed record of the fastest steam-powered rocket like vehicle. It was 214 miles an hour. So, Mad Mike Hughes, you might have the world's fastest steam-powered thing on this planet. So, in order to prove that the Earth is flat, they invented new technology in his front lawn. <laughs> It actually, yeah, if you look at pictures of it, it's literally like his house. And yeah, there's right, a rocket at the back. Right I mean, hey, you know, uh, mad props to you, dude. It's pretty cool. Like, so wait, wait, I'm confused. I guess what 
you have a rocket, and in the back, you just have a big, like, fuel tank with, what, heaters on it? And you just heat it up? No, it gets heated on, on the ground. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, it's it's on the... It, yeah, okay, it's so tank. it's... Basically, this thing was already at, a, at an angle on a sled. Yep. It's almost a vertical angle. Yep. Uh, and, and so it's already pointing up, and you just heat it up, and then what? You just open a little valve in the valve back? Valve at the bottom, yep. And that's it. Like, go. How great would it be if it was, like, a little PVC valve that a guy, like, turned it <laughs> open? The best is when... All right, you ready? There's some videos of, of this guy testing this thing. Yeah. And, like, it fails to go off, and so he's, like, poking at it with a stick. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, Mad Mac Hughes. If 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 you want to come on the podcast oh, and be like great. talk about your rocket, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we we'll skip the whole flat Earth thing. We'll talk just about the just rocket. About the rocket. Yeah, because that's kind of cool. Actually, that's really cool. yeah. Well, go watch the video. It's on it's on YouTube. We'll we'll post a link for it. Uh, it's it's impressive. And and uh, I think there was like a, a dual parachute landing. I mean, like yep. he goes up, it pops off. I mean, it really is an Estes rocket that runs on water. I wonder it actually. A human being. I'm, I'm, I, I wonder if if you just spent the money and just bought like hundreds of Estes rockets and just fired them all at once would it have been just as much. I wonder. Okay, so he got at least in the article I wrote, uh, I read he uh, got eight grand from the flat flat Earth research or research flat Earth society um, society whatever. Um, so yeah, I wonder if. Well, we would need to get figure out how much energy. That's kind of kind of hard. We have to figure out how much the rocket would weigh, and then if it actually got to that height, then we could figure out how much energy it would have stored because it's it's turning kinetic energy into. Well, no, is it would is pressurized water kinetic or potential energy? That's potential. So it's turning it into kinetic energy to get it up. Okay, right, okay. right. So. Um, it's not doing anything necessarily at first other than just being hot. Yeah. And then we have to figure out basically how much s- material you would need to, and all that stuff. Cause, well, no. No. So, back and back and up, back and up. So, <laughs> figure out how much the rocket weighs. We know how high he went. Then we can figure out how much energy he would need to get up there. And knowing how much energy he would need, then we can take that 8,000 and see how much energy it would take to buy Estes rocket, solid fuel rockets, basically, <laughs> and see if yeah. we come up with the same number. See if it would be dollars. cheaper to just go to Walmart and make a, a rocket from Walmart out of rockets. So, so I just calculated um, how many dollars per foot uh, they the the Flat Earth Society spent. They spent four dollars and twenty five cents a foot to get him into the air. Four dollars. Yeah, four dollars. I wonder how much NASA spends per foot. To get a rocket. No, SpaceX. SpaceX, you're right. NASA's gone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> yeah, that would be, uh, be interesting because uh, I heard it was something. I, I, they, don't, they don't obviously don't do it per foot because that doesn't make any sense. They, it's, 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 it's per pound. It's pound to LTO. What's LTO? Is it? No, LEO. Low Earth orbit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've basically just heard dollars per pound, yeah. and it's like multi thousand dollars well, per you, pound. Well, Dollars per pound doesn't really mean anything. You have to give how far it goes. Usually that means LEO. Okay. Dollars per pound per height. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yep. It's just the, the the figure I saw was like, how much does it cost to get a pound into space? Yeah. And so space is uh, um, it's a pretty broad term once you get past a certain level. Like yes. everything is based past that yeah. level. Yeah. So so I know a, a geosynchronous like uh, um, 
what what are the the, the satellites for uh, geo tracking and stuff like that? Those okay. are like way the hell out there. Yep. Those cost a ton of money, but you don't need as many satellites out there, you know, uh, for for um, getting your That's position. Geosynchronous on. orbit. Yeah. Well, yep. uh, geosynchronous orbit. Yeah, I think it's something. It's ridiculous. It's something like thirty three thousand yeah, miles, like yep. or, or something like that. Whereas, mm, like, I don't think it's that far. I, I don't I don't remember exactly. It's 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 huge. I looked it up a while ago. Whereas like uh you know all the uh, like communication satellites are like a tenth of that. Yeah. Because they don't need to be that far out. Cool. Yep. So one more topic. Okay. I it, we kind of touched on this when you were talking about school projects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is ideas for summer projects for students. Mm. Buy a breadboard. <laughs> Put all your power on blue and all your grounds on red. And, do and you'll pass. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, none of my lab guys ever checked it. <laughs> they just cared if it worked. So, what? So, if an electronics engineer or engineer in college, and he's at, you know, he's got to go home and stay with his parents for like three months and hate it because mm-hmm. you know we don't leave our our houses at all. Um, <laughs> no, the the sun actually kills us. Yeah. If we spend too long in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 15 minutes tops. Um, what kind of project? I'm trying to remember projects I was doing back then. I built the, my, my first my first you know summer home. Mm-hmm. I built two guitar amps. Uh, that was actually while I was working at uh, um, um, Walmart. So I, I'd, I'd work work eight, nine hours at Walmart, come home, and then spend eight, nine hours building guitar amps, and somewhere there was sleep in there. Uh, so, I mean, that that was cool, but I was already into that. Yeah. Um, like, getting into something new? Hmm. Well, because you got to think is most students aren't like us. They, they didn't like build... They weird? Well, no, they don't <laughs> build things. Because like, you remember in school where, like, how many of your fellow classmates actually built things on the weekends? Or after school? Oh my gosh, yeah. none. <laughs> Dude, me, me. It was it was, it was surprising. Mine it was, was surprising. Zero. I I knew I knew yeah a number very close to zero. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. And and it, and it was always surprising because I was like, you guys are engineers. What are you doing? <laughs> like maybe I'm just weird, but like I I, 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 I sort of feel like like don't you get excited about this stuff don't you want to like go do it like outside of the classroom the classroom sucks let's go do something cool exactly but like i don't know i mean i I remember one summer we came we came back and my buddy who had done a project in his uh high school uh they had they had to create a boat out of cardboard or something like that had to hold like five people it was part of their physics class or whatnot i remember uh it sounds like a more material science class than me then it was it was physics because they were they were doing the whole like water displacement versus mass Uh, and that kind of crap whatever that that boring stuff that Uh, part doesn't actually matter in a cardboard boat yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what we ended up doing is we ended up creating like flaming arrows, and we we brought it to a pond out out in the middle of nowhere, and we we set it off, who, and, you, and like we shot flaming arrows. I was like, who, who you gave a, a, a Viking funeral? Yeah, to. we gave a Viking funeral to, and 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 this whole boat. It was hilarious because this whole boat they made a huge boat. I mean, it was massive, like half the size of a garage uh and they kept it for some reason i don't know why for years and then they and when we finally decided to get rid of it um it was actually in the shape of a penguin and they had even painted it and everything like that so there's this giant flaming (laughs) penguin in a in a pond and of course the cops came and we had to run away and it was it was fun (laughs) so so that that's that was a summer project i did so 
circa what 2008 uh that would have been probably closer to six or seven okay 2006 through, through, through i'm gonna look this up see if i can find some newspaper clippings of a flaming of a penguin. flaming penguin in a pond <laughs> in, <the pond. laughs> in central texas you might you might be able to you might be able to yeah yeah uh, oh that'd be great it was that was fun yeah uh um, um project i sh- i I I built one of my first projects that I built was a power supply at an LM317. That's a really good first project. Um, it didn't cost me a lot. I basically went around. Um, I went around West Campus at, at, in Austin, and like just because people are just throwing shit away out in the back alleys because they're you know those are the like that's like the where the rich students lived. So like their parents bought them like a microwave and refrigerators and all these electronics and they're just throwing them away because they're moving going back home so i i pickled and that's how I, I picked a bunch of like transformers and stuff and made a power supply out of it mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I guess building a variable power supply somehow maybe i don't know if an lm317 is like popular anymore it is ish yeah, it does about an amp and a half before frying. I mean, the the, the thing is, the LM, I feel like the, the, the 317 was super popular back in the day when micro USB chargers weren't everywhere. That's now true. that those are everywhere, you, and, have five and, volts. And you have five volts readily available yep. all the time. So if anything, like a, a you could make a, a little boost converter thing that that's plugs into a USB that oh, gives yeah. you like 12 volts from a five volt. And then drop that down to or, or yeah, it, I tell you what. How about a USB stick that gives you twelve, nine, five, three point three, and one point eight? Like it just kind of gives you like the the, the gamut right yeah, there. Yeah, that actually be really cool. Yeah, that'd be, and and you know that's a that's a challenge problem. Can you make one one stick that produces all those even things? bigger a challenge is make it run off of um, USB on the go on your phone. Oh, so your phone can char- it can boost it. Boost out. it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Now you're talking about adding some digital crap in there. Yeah, yeah, that might stinky. be a little too much for a student, but I think well, especially a first semester student. Yeah, you know, I'm what? just thinking about like a project that someone who doesn't do electronics for a hobby yet. How can they get into it? You know, okay, so so one thing I would actually suggest is is a project that somehow is actually useful. That's what I was thinking, like a power supply. Well, and what I mean is. Is, okay, so if you build something over the summer, instead of something that you might just leave at mom and dad's house, oh, something you that you, you actually bring with you and use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that like you might be able to show off to a professor, something that you, that maybe like, oh, you got a new roommate and you show them it's cool, blah, 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 whatever. They'd be like, you're the lamest person ever. Probably. <laughs> probably. Or, or, or re- remember, gosh, we talked about this way early on. Remember the guy who had like... The uh, the circuit where he could automatically lock his door from his computer or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was it was some incognito mode enabled locks. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. He God, opened, that was like that two was, years ago. That was a yeah, that was a long time ago. But but something something in that vein, something that like you might actually use, uh, because the thing about it, something that you might use once. If it breaks after that first use, you're kind of like, eh. But if you build something that you want to use on a regular basis, and you're going to want to maintain it, you're going to want to build it right, you're going to want to, you know, do the right thing. And so I think that would be a good starting point for choosing a project, mm-hmm. at least. And I would say the biggest thing is don't be afraid of doing a project that someone's already done before. 
Oh God, everyone does projects that people have done before. Yeah, no, but a lot is, is some people get into this mode where I've seen this online where like I want to do a project, but when I look that project up, someone's done it. I'm like, do it, any, but just just because someone's done it doesn't mean you can't do it a slightly different way or just ignore it and just design it yourself. Sure, you might come up with the same solution, but you did all the work yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I it mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that you designed something. Well, and and you can you can choose at whatever level you want to be a uh, quote inventor. Uh, like, let's say let's say you're looking for a project and you see one that's really cool and you want to do that. You could either do it step by step, or you could, you know. Try to do a little bit yourself. Compare against what they did. Try to do a little bit more yourself. Uh, you know, see what you can improve upon mm-hmm. or whatnot. I mean, hell, that's half of of engineering is just improving upon what someone else has done. Yeah. Yeah. That. So I guess we didn't give like any like super specific projects. <laughs> more like just like good, good guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good guidelines. Yeah. Something yeah. you figure out what you what makes you happy and just go do it. Yeah. Or take an existing hobby and say that you have and say, if I built something that did this, would it make that hobby that I already enjoy more enjoyable? Right. Also, summer break is not that long, so get on it and start making stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why I had it now in in March, this now. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, once you're in summer break, like, clock's ticking. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of doing your finals, design your summer project. (laughs) Yeah, and don't listen to Parker. <laughs> make good grades, drink your homework, do your milk, and and you'll be good. Yeah. Okay, so that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, home of excellent advice. Home of what? Excellent advice. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. Say I thought you said excellent device. And oh, I was no. like, uh, sure. Okay. Oh, that yeah. too. Yeah, there's a lot of those here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we I, were your guests, Parker Doman. <laughs> and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading and taking the advice from our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel where we talk about lots of cool people's projects. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen. It helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.